Welcome once again to worship this morning. What a beautiful weekend we've had and the beauty of God's creation, his goodness to us in so many ways. I hope you were able to enjoy it. And, you know, I, I know I say this probably too often, maybe not, but there are so many times where I get up to preach and I just feel like <laughs> after what we sang, what is left to say? And uh, it's just so good to worship together, to hear each other sing praises to God, and so thank you for being here, and thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, Dad mentioned this in the exhortation, and we talked about this on Wednesday night at our Thanksgiving Eve service as well, that thanksgiving or gratitude is a response to something, right? We, we are not naturally inclined to feel thanks. We're not naturally inclined to be, you know, thankful for things, but it is a response and in the heart of the Christian, it is a response to what God has done. And so I just want to encourage you, Thanksgiving is not just this holiday that we celebrate and get together and overeat and whatever else you do. It is a lifestyle for the Christian. And so as we move on now into Christmas and we get into the long, cold months of winter, remember that God is worthy of our thanks and we are to be a thankful people, not only when it's culturally acceptable <laughs> around the end of November, but all the time, in every circumstance, Paul tells us to give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So let's be a thankful people all year. I was just reminded of that this week, that it's great to have the support from the things around us, but really, thanksgiving ought to mark our life all the time. So let's work on that together. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Well, oftentimes when we give instruction, parents, you resonate with this, or if you have people that work under you or whatever, we often give instruction because there's a future outcome, there's a future consequence that needs to be avoided. Okay, you're familiar with this. You say, okay, you need to, you need to change what you're doing. You need to walk this way. Don't go that way because otherwise, look, look where this is headed. This is similar to what we've seen in Paul lately in the book of Ephesians when he's saying the outcome of this kind of behavior, if, if you dwell in sin, if you live in this and it's unrepentant, this is the outcome. So change what you're doing. But now today, as we move on in chapter 5, we're going to see a different motivation. And not different as in brand new, but just different from the context we've been in for the last week or two, where Paul is not saying... You should do this because if you don't, this is what's coming. He's saying we ought to act this way because of what you are and because of what God did for you in the past. Okay, so different motivations. He's coming at it from a little bit different angle. He's saying you used to be this, but that's not who you are. This is who you are, therefore walk this way. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. and I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. But just a note uh, before we get into this, Paul's picking up here. In the previous verses, he has told us about these whom he calls the sons of disobedience. We talked about this last week. These are people who live their life in continued, unrepentant sin, rejecting God, rejecting his design for our life. And Paul calls them, not only here but in, in chapter 2, the sons of of disobedience. These are the ones that Paul is warning us about now when we come to verse 7. 
Okay, so with that in mind, listen, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for everything that you have done. And we ask that you would make us a people of thanksgiving. We ask once again now for your help, Lord, as we read your word and we we want to be obedient to this text to try to discern what is pleasing to you for the way that we ought to live our lives, knowing what you have done for us, knowing the grace that has been extended to us. And so, Father, help. Help us as we look at this text. Help us to live in light of this and not just let it come in our minds and go right back out because there's things we got to get to today, but help us to dwell here and to discover through your word, Lord, what it means to live a life that is pleasing to you. So would you come? And be our teacher this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in verse 7 now, Paul says, Do not become partners with them. And this word that he uses, translated partners, has more to do with participation than just a mere association. Okay, we need need to get this right. So what Paul is not saying When he says, don't become partners with them, what he's not saying is that you need to remove yourself from any interaction with unbelievers. Right? I mean, the call of the Christian is to live your life in a way that other people see what you're doing and hear your proclamation of the gospel. This is not a call for isolation. Like, just don't don't even associate. Just keep away. This is a involvement. It's an approval. It's a participation with these sons of disobedience and the people that walk in this kind of living. Paul uses the same word a couple chapters earlier, but in a positive sense. I think this is helpful for us to see. This is chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says this. He's talking about his commission and how he's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, And partakers, same word, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in this context, the partaking, the partnership is much more than just an association, right? This is working together for a common goal. He's saying Jew and Gentile, anyone who names the name of Christ, we are together in this. We are going the same direction, working towards the same things. So take this back negatively now to chapter 5, verse 7. Okay, in this context, he is saying, as Christians, don't partake with this kind of behavior. Don't partner with this. You don't have the same goals as the world. Did you know that? Did you know that as someone who was saved by the grace of God and purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't have the same goal as the world? What are some of the world's goals? Well, it has all to do with self. Self-improvement, self-worth, self, self, self. That is not the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is Christ and his glory, not you. So this partnership, this participation 
We walk different. We have different goals. We should not be like-minded with the world. Now, I'm not talking about being super weird and awkward and like people don't even want to be around you because you're like, nope, that's part of the world. We're not doing that. But what Paul is getting at is that the things that the world values, the things that they go after, are not the things that people who name the name of Christ ought to value and go after. There is no partnership with that kind of living. We have a new king. We have new motivations. We have new affections that are given to us by God. So therefore, Paul says, don't don't partner, don't participate in what the world is doing. Now remember last week, when we started this section in verse 3, I said that all the way through, Paul is using this structure where he gives a command and then says, now here's why you should do that. Remember that? So here's what you ought to do. Here's why you ought to do that. And he does the same thing now in our text today. Paul says that we should not become partners with the world. Why? What does he ground that instruction on? Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That word for could also be because. So do not become partners with them because at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's there's a change that's happened. There's something that Paul is drawing our attention to in this text. The reason Paul encourages the kind of living that he's saying, look, don't partner with this. He's going to say, walk as children of light here in just a moment. The reason he tells us this is because of something that happened in something that we are, not only because of some kind of future motivation, although that is part of it, right? But what he's doing here is drawing attention to the fact that we have been saved by the grace of God, and that should be the motivation. Not just trying to avoid getting spanked in the future, but we're trying to live as though we are who we say we are. You're a Christian, here's how you live. Walk worthy of your calling. And this is what Paul is trying to get at here. When we look back and we see what God has done for us, this should produce a lot of things. We just were talking about thanksgiving being something that comes out of a heart that knows what God has done. And also our conduct, the way that we live our life is an overflow of knowledge of what God has done, which is why it is so important that we remain in the word of God. And we read it for ourselves and we find out what God has done so that we can live in a way that honors Him. Verse 8 says that at one time we were darkness. Paul doesn't just say you were in darkness as though we were some kind of passive observant just kind of stumbling around going, oh, I, I don't know what's going on. Oops, I sinned. Oh, I didn't know that. No, you were darkness. That's who we were. That was one of those identifying characteristics of life apart from Christ. Now, what is Paul referring to when he talks about the fact that we were darkness? I think he's talking about our our heart. This, This is a spiritual reality. Earlier, he said that the Gentiles were darkened in their understanding because they were alienated from God. You see, all throughout the scriptures, light and darkness are used as illustrations or representations of 
sin, life apart from God, or light and life in God. Okay, this darkness light thing has been going on. John, in his gospel, in the first chapter, says that Jesus is the light that came into the darkness. And the world is often referred to as a dark place spiritually. You can read the first chapter of John about through verse 14 to see John do a really good job of illustrating this as Jesus as the light. Even in the Old Testament, when the prophets were looking ahead to the time when Messiah would come and fulfill the prophecies, what is some of the language that they use? We're coming into the Christmas season and hopefully you're all spending time in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, okay, that's the world, have seen a great light to those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness. On them the light has shone. Now Isaiah is not writing in a physical, literal sense, like they're stumbling around in the darkness, they have no idea. He's not writing to the people in Alaska that have a half an hour of daylight per day. He's talking about spiritual reality, those who walked in darkness, who walked the course of the world. In fact, darkness is even talked about in the Bible as this form of judgment. Remember the plagues that God sends on the, on the Egyptians? Darkness is one of those punishments. Or in John, again, chapter 3, Jesus says this, This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. So when Paul says that at one time we were darkness, he means, as he said in chapter 2, that we were dead in our sin, lost, hopeless, apart from Christ. But what happened now? I just love this about Paul, that he never leaves us in a hopeless state for very long. Except for in Romans, he talks about sin for like three chapters. And it seems pretty bleak until we get out of that. <laughs> but we'll get there in about a decade. So what, what happened? What happened to move us from darkness? You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. What, what's going on? What is the significance of those two words, but now? What does that mean? I think that those two words are summarizing the reality that the Bible calls conversion. Conversion. Conversion is changing from one form to another. So Paul is saying, we were darkness, but God, through his grace, which we've seen all throughout the book of Ephesians, has saved us, brought us out of darkness, and made us to be light in the Lord. And I'm sure with all the confidence that I can have in my ignorance, that Paul is thinking back to his own experience of conversion. Do you remember reading about this in the book of Acts? Where he's going and he's persecuting the church, and what does God do? God strikes him blind. He is in darkness. Until the light of the gospel open, literally opens his eyes. So when Paul uses this language of darkness and light, I think he has first-hand experience. To what's going on. He's, Acts 26, Paul is standing in front of King Agrippa and he's giving a defense. He's telling his testimony, basically, of how he got saved and he's telling what Jesus told him. What, what is Paul's commission going to be? Well, this is what Jesus tells him. This is Acts 26, verse 18. 
Jesus saved Paul to, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and here's the commission, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. Jesus here establishes, if it was not obvious, this connection between darkness and the power of Satan and light and the power or the kingdom of God. It says that right there in the text. So the statement in Ephesians 5 that we once were darkness, but now our light carries so much weight because it is a way of telling about the grace of God that has saved us if you belong to Christ, and brought you into his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I bet we quote this at least once a month because it is so good. But God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to reveal the light of the glory of Christ. The good news is light And these contrasts of light and darkness are so helpful. If you are in Christ, if you know the love of God that was demonstrated to you in the sacrifice of Jesus, then you are a child of light and you owe everything to the grace of God that saved you. Notice what Paul says, that we are light in the Lord. Light in the Lord. We are not light <clears throat> because of something we have done. Okay, we, we don't make ourselves to be in the light. That's the work of God through his spirit. We are light in the Lord. God didn't make us light because we were worthy of it. <clears throat> he did not make us light because of something we might do in the future that would be worth it. We are only light in the Lord because of the grace of God. So remember, this is not something to boast in. Like, oh, those people are in the darkness. Whew, I'd hate to be them. No, you were them. And you still would be if not for the grace of God. So this isn't some kind of puff yourself up, thumbs in the suspenders. (laughs) Well, now I'm good. I'm in the light. No, you're in the light because of Christ. And he deserves the credit. He deserves the glory for what he has done. If you are not in Christ... You are not light. But thanks be to God that Colossians 1.13 is true. Right about now, I bet you wish you knew what that said. This is what Colossians 1.13 says. God has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. (laughs) Praise God. You don't have to stay in the darkness, but God in His grace extends His hand and moves us into the right kingdom. What a merciful and gracious God. Now, Because of this past event, because of this conversion that has happened, this change, the but now phrase in this verse, Paul instructs us to walk as children of light. 
We've already talked a lot about walking in the book of Ephesians, how it's a symbol or a picture for our conduct, for how we conduct ourselves in the church and in our Christian life. And so Paul is saying now, because of what happened, here's the way that you ought to live. You ought to walk this way, conduct yourselves this way as children of light. We're no longer to walk in darkness as the Gentiles do, but rather, having been taken out of darkness, like we just heard in Colossians 1, we are to conduct ourselves in keeping with this new identity that God has given us in Christ. This language of walking in light is common in the scriptures. Isaiah, in chapter 2, he's calling the nation of Israel back and he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Jesus, in John chapter 8, said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Hearing these texts then, especially that one from John 12, what would you say it means to walk as children of light? We were to switch places right now and you came up and said, okay, here's what it means to walk as, what would that mean? What does it mean to walk as children of light? I mean, in, in a broad sense, walking as children of light just means to live as a Christian. In some ways, right, God is light. James calls him the father of light. Therefore, his children are children of the light. 1 John 1, 5 says that this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So in one sense, walking in the light is just a way to say, walk as a Christian. Read your Bible. Understand what God requires of you. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, walk that way. But let's give it a little bit of definition here. I want to suggest three things. Based on what we read, three things that help us understand what it means to walk in the light. We're going to kind of apply as we go here. First, to walk in the light means we walk with purpose. We walk with purpose, right? God has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness. He's put us into the kingdom of light. And when we recognize, I think, where we have been, we know we don't want to go back there. So we're not aimlessly wandering around anymore. We have a purpose. We know what to do. God has saved us from that. We're not going back there. We walk with purpose. Secondly, similarly, we walk with direction. We walk with direction. We just read in John 12 that the one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. He's stumbling around. Listen to me now. If you are in Christ, if you are in the light, you are not in the darkness anymore. You don't have to stumble around in your life wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? Any of that. You are in the light and the word of God says that it is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. So we walk not aimlessly as Christians. We have direction. We are on a path. If you've read the book Pilgrim's Progress, that's a great allegory for the road that leads to eternal life. And that is what we are on. We are on a path and we walk with direction because God is the one who gives us that direction. Third, 
Walking as children of light means that we do not walk alone. This might be the most encouraging thing for us to hear this morning. Walking as children of light means we do not walk alone. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. Walking in the darkness is lonely. If you've experienced seasons of temptation or sin and you feel stuck in that, you know that it's a lonely place to be. It's isolating. It's frightening. That's not who we are in Christ. God saved us into a body, into his body, the church. And because of what he has done, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We can look around, we can see the people around us that love us and want to support us and walk this life with us. We're able to enjoy the good gift that God has given us in Christian community. When we walk in the light, we do not walk alone. And that's a great encouragement. Nobody wants to walk alone. I mean, you might get sick of people. If you've been with your family all weekend for Thanksgiving, you might want a little alone time. That's okay. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the fact that we do not do the Christian life solo. We walk together. We have fellowship with one another. Now, in verse 9, Paul changes analogies. Okay, he's going from darkness and light to fruit. Only he mixes the analogy, and now we have the fruit of light. Okay, so don't get confused. He's just kind of mixing his metaphors here. When he talks about the fruit of light, he means the outcome, the product of the life that is walked in the light. Let's talk about what that means. Paul talks about the fruit of light. It is outcome. It is evidence of right walking. Of course, we could go to Galatians chapter 5. We could read about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But here, Paul calls attention to three particular areas where this fruit is found. He calls it the fruit of light in what is good and right and true. So when we have been transformed by the gospel, when the grace of God has saved us from our sin, our lives reflect this new identity by modeling or imitating these specific virtues of God. If you've been in the Sunday school class this past trimester, you know we've been talking about the attributes of God that we are called to replicate, the things that we are called to imitate in our lives. And goodness, righteousness, truth are certainly among those that we are called to model in our own life. And notice that Paul lists these things as fruit not as prerequisite behaviors. Okay, this is really important. Paul does not say, if you want to walk in the light, then you need to do goodness, righteousness, and truth-telling. You do that, you'll be in the light. That's the wrong order. Paul says, you are in the light because of the grace of God, and now the outcome, the overflow of that kind of life is that it will be marked by goodness, righteousness, and truth. See the difference? He's not giving us a ladder and saying, okay, climb that up and maybe by the time you get to the top you'll be in the light. Nope. He's saying this is what marks a life that has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Not prerequisite behaviors, outcomes. That's what fruit is. Fruit grows off of something. A tree, a bush, usually a healthy tree. So don't read these as steps you have to take to earn favor with God or to get into the light. God transfers us into his light by his grace. And because of that now, we live a life that is marked by these kind of things. So let's give a quick definition before we move on to the last verse. Goodness has mainly to do with generosity, benevolence. When we read in the Bible about the goodness of God, it is almost always Him doing good to His people, giving something. And I think when we model goodness, it really comes from an understanding that everything we have comes from God and belongs to Him. Therefore, we ought to be free and generous with what He has given to us. Just as God is good, the Psalms talk about the fact that God does good and is good. Just as God is good, we ought to practice goodness, generosity to those around us. It is the act of putting other people's needs and desires ahead of our own. And using the resources God gives us to be a help and an encouragement. Next, the fruit of light is found in what is right. What is right? Now, righteousness sometimes is thought of exclusively as our standing before God, and that's true. That is the standing of the believer before God. But I think Paul has in mind here another aspect of righteousness or right doing, which would be faithfulness, following through on what we say we were going to do. God is righteous, He doesn't go back on His word, He always does the right thing. And not only does he do the right thing, but he is the standard for what is right. So if you wonder, okay, what does it mean for me to do right in my life? What does that look like? That means you go to the word of God and you go to places like Philippians 4 and you see whatever is true, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent. Think on these things. God sets the standard for what is right. You and I model that. We, we get our standard from God, but we don't make the standard. Okay, so when we talk about right doing, when we talk about righteousness, make sure that we're always grounding that on what God has revealed to us in his word. The fruit of light, the evidence of a life lived this way is right doing and right according to the word of God, not what we think it is. Third, Paul says that the fruit of light is found in what is true. What is true? Remember that we're still in the context of light and darkness. Okay? And when you're in the darkness, that's where lies can thrive. A lie can live a long time in the darkness because there's no light to expose it. We're going to get into this next week when we see Paul talking about the light that exposes what's in the darkness. But when you're in the dark, when you live in the darkness, lies live because there's nothing to expose them. So Paul is saying one of the evidences, one of the fruits of walking in the light is that we give up lying and we speak what is true. Living a life of truth is, I think, being willing to bring our sin into the light of the word of God and let the Spirit convict us and lead us to repentance for that. Don't live in a lie and trick yourself into thinking that you're fine the way it is. 
The fruit of light is to let the light of the gospel shine so that there is no room for darkness, lies, any of that. Now, verse 10, lastly. Paul says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, rather than just seeing this as a standalone, we need to connect this to what we've just seen, I think, in the previous verses. Discerning what is pleasing or acceptable to God is how we put these traits into practice. Okay? This is how we put these things in. When we try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord, we will start to act and think and be in accordance to what his word tells us. So how do we know what the will of the Lord is? How do we know what is pleasing to God? It's what I just said. We, we find out through his word. This is what Paul said, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of the Lord is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you know what's pleasing to God? You read his word. You renew your mind by soaking in the truth of the Bible so that you, it's not a guessing game, brothers and sisters. God is not trying to hide his will from you. He has not shrouded his desire in some secret, ancient thing that nobody can understand. He has given us his word in a book that is in your language. And you can pick up this book. You can read it and pray that the Holy Spirit would work through the words to open your eyes and open your understanding so that you know what is pleasing to the Lord. Is it pleasing to the Lord to live your life in lies? No, the Bible says do not lie to one another since you have taken off the old self with its practices. Okay, we know that. What else does the Bible say? We, you, get, you get what I'm doing? On and on we can go. We know or we can know what is pleasing to the Lord if we are grounded in his word. There is no higher priority for us than to know God through his word. And whatever that means for you. Everyone has a little bit different routine when it comes to handling the word, but the point is, is that you have a routine. <laughs> Don't neglect the fountain of life, the only thing that can tell us what is pleasing to the Lord. You want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Then don't neglect the Bible. Don't neglect reading and soaking and meditating in the truth of the scriptures. It is the word of life to us. And it will show us how to walk in the light. It will show us what is pleasing to God. And maybe most importantly, it shows us that we do not have to do this in our own strength, but God in his mercy has given us his spirit that enables us to walk this way. We will never walk as children of light unless we walk according to his word. It's just the reality of what God has done. So remember, Christian, that at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Let's pray. Father, each of us have a slightly different situation, slightly different circumstances. For as much as we do have in common, we have many things that are unique to us. And yet, in every situation, your word applies. 
So as we consider now today and this coming week what it means to walk as children of light, I pray that you would keep us grounded in your word. Father, would everyone here this morning commit to regularly spending time in your word so that we can discern what is pleasing to you, so that we know what you expect and what you require of us. And I praise you and thank you for the gift of your spirit without whom we would have no, no progress in our holiness. But because of your work in us, Lord, we can take small steps towards this. So please keep us accountable to your word. Help us not to stray, but would we know what you expect of us and would we live lives that are pleasing to you by the power of your own spirit. I ask this knowing that you are able and willing to answer this prayer. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.